Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose, a quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast, book, video, or mentor, as well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose. And finally, I'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose. So please take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message. Just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. It's almost when you expand to a certain level mentally, sometimes you can't go back to the way it once was. If you don't know what you want, I recommend writing a list of everything you don't want. If you don't know what you want in somebody or don't know what you want in life, write down what you know you don't want. I don't want to be cheated on. I don't want to be treated poorly. I don't want to feel insecure, you know, whatever it is. Then when you figure out what you don't want, you know what you do want. Born in Pennsylvania, raised in Ohio, and currently living in Florida, Brittany Chafin works with 55 nonprofit organizations, sits on the board of a nonprofit, and invests in real estate, both for profit and for purpose, to give people a second chance at life. Whitney grew up in Ohio, and back home, drugs are really bad. Addiction and alcoholism run in her family, and when she had a friend die from accidental drug overdose back in 2013, she made it her mission to find out why. And it turns out, depression was part of that reason. People would turn to drugs back home as an escape, so she set out to make life more beautiful for anyone she meets so they will never feel the need to escape the reality with a temporary artificial high. Instead, by having a true high on life. Whitney herself experienced depression from age 20 to 25, and to get over it, she started giving back. She began giving back to people from various nonprofits, to where she ended up helping more than 55 different ones in Palm Beach County, Florida. She competed in the Miss Florida USA pageant back in 2015 as a way to promote her missions, and in 2016, she changed career paths and started investing in real estate and became a professional speaker in 2018, sharing her mission and work across the U.S. Most notably, in 2018, Whitney donated $25,000 to a nonprofit called Place of Hope, who houses children in foster care to help them build a community center for the children and families who reside on their campus. Whitney now sits on their advisory board and is an angel mom, providing resources to various children in need through the nonprofit. Today's episode with Whitney Chafin was a really remarkable interview. I think the energy she brings to the conversation, the intelligence, um, the charisma and the confidence are all remarkable for her young age of only being 28 years old. I met Whitney at a 
uh, real estate investing seminar, a free seminar in the Bay Area after I had read this amazing book that really transformed my paradigm, my thoughts around personal finances called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And at that conference or that seminar, um, Whitney was able to very clearly express her personal reasons as to why she got into real estate investing. And I really got a sense of her purpose in her speech, the way she interacted with the audience and engaged all of us and did so so confidently and charismatically was really remarkable for someone of our age. So when, um, when she was finished and I ended up signing up for her company's three-day real estate investing course, I also asked if she would do an interview with me. Um, and what we were able to talk about on our interview today um, was really enlightening um, to further expand upon this paradigm shift I've made around personal finances and how that can really create a more um, impactful sense of your purpose um, when you're able to give more because you have more. Um, and then also just being able to research her and looking at her blog entries on her website was fantastic. Like I highly recommend that you go read her blog entries. I think the topic she talks about around breakups and emotions and um, an insatiable drive to be successful are all really relatable feelings for people in their mid-twenties. Um, so our Whitney is clearly coming into her sense of purpose. Um, I think she's on a path that, that she's not going back from, but I also can see how much further she has to go and I'm really excited for her. It gives me such a sense of calm about the future, um, about my future, knowing that there's people like Whitney out there um, that will help lift me up lift up others, and help each other to be the best that they possibly can be. So on today's episode, I am excited to welcome today's person of purpose, Whitney Chafin. Hello, Whitney. Hey, how are you? I'm great. It's great to have you here. Uh, I met you like a few weeks ago, and um, I was super inspired by your story, your background, um, how, how various of experiences you've had. You've lived a lot of life for being someone so young. That um, is true. Thank you. <laughs> I think that you have a lot of wisdom behind what you say, at least a lot of what you believe and say, write about really matches with um, understandings and truths that I also hold. Um, and so I asked you to be a guest on the podcast. Um, and I think it's really good for people to hear it um, around the New Year's time because it's a time for a fresh start. And it seems like your background has been filled with fresh starts, new beginnings, um, and new mindsets. And I'm really excited to explore all that with you. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm happy to help however I can. <laughs> so I read a lot of your website, and you have this really profound series of sentences that I wanted to start off with um, okay. to start our conversation. So you write, life is meant to be filled with intention, purpose, and love. It's given to each and every one of us the same way, designed uniquely for each of us to grow and thrive in our own way. When you can realize this, that you cannot fail at being yourself, that's when a life free from failure and free of failure can begin to develop. So when do you think you started to wholeheartedly know and fearlessly pursue your purpose? I don't, that's a good question because I don't know that I ever really knew. I think maybe my whole life I've just kind of believe that there's no limitations. And I have to really thank my parents for that. I was fortunate enough to be raised by two loving parents who are still married today. They've been together since they were 16 years old. And my mom was my biggest cheerleader growing up, that she believed that there's literally no limitations. You can be whatever you want to be. And I believed in that. I think everybody at some point in their life probably gets down on themselves and, and you know, may experience doubt. And I, I do still today you know, every day is a different day. And some days that I don't feel like I'm that confident to pursue everything I want. And I, I'm a little depleted. However, 
I think that growing up definitely helped me with the way that I was raised, just my parents always believing in me. And I think in my adult life, it happened when I just kind of had enough of all the stuff that I was experiencing of, of people saying you can't do this or you can't do that. Not necessarily to me, just the environments that I was in and the traditional school system. Um, anytime you do a sport, there's just always a competition. And I think that, I don't know, just like the way I was raised definitely guided me down that path. And I think now in my adult life, when you, when you finally figure out who you are and you know what you want in life, at that point, I think is where you can, you can fearlessly pursue anything that it is that you want. Um, I don't want to ramble too much. I don't know if you have a specific question aside from that, but I tend to just go down rabbit holes if you, if you don't guide me. <laughs> okay. I'll guide you. Yeah. And I don't know you all that well compared to some other people that maybe have been right. in my life for tons of years. But yeah, that's, that's really good, like, basis to go off of. So, okay. like, who is a specific person that gave you permission to do this? Or did that come internally always? I, that's, I don't know. I think, I mean, my parents, when I was raised, like, my mom literally used to say to me as a kid, you can be anything you want. You're so beautiful. I love you. Whether I believe that or not, I mean, my mom definitely made me feel that way. So I never went into any situation thinking I couldn't do it. There was never that doubt. As, as soon as, if there was a cheerleading audition, I tried out for the, the squad and I just assumed I was going to be on it. I just never really thought that there was a, a question of it. And I think that's just, again, the way I was raised. But mm -hmm. um, I think part of it, I, I don't know. I think most of it, can you rephrase the question just one more time? Um, how did you give yourself permission or who gave you permission to pursue your purpose, believe in yourself? So in my adult life, I had to give myself that permission because for, for a chunk of time in my adult life, I would say adult life being 20 to 25 years old, I, I pursued things individually, but I was always, I tend to always be in relationships with people who needed fixing or needed help in some, some sort so a lot of times what I would find is in helping them become who they wanted to be, I would subdue myself. I would water mm -hmm. myself down. And eventually when you're building somebody else up so much that you forget who you are, you, you lose yourself. And so I think I've had enough of that happening in my adult life that it got to a point that I was like, you know what, I'm done helping people until I help myself in that biggest way. So at about 24 and 25 years old is when I think it finally hit me that I could give myself that permission. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and you said in your bio that you were, I mean, it does sound like you were raised really well to believe in yourself, but you also said you were raised around a lot of really negative things. Like uh, you talked about alcoholism and depression. Um, and then you said like you set out to make life beautiful for people so that they didn't have to escape their reality with a temporary artificial high yeah. and instead like achieve a high on life. Um, how, what role do you think growing up around so many like issues and negativity played in you developing and refining your purpose? I think with where I grew up, so I grew up in, uh, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was raised in Ohio. And in that area, there's not a whole lot to do. I mean, your nearest movie theater is 45 minutes away. Nearest mm -hmm. fine dining steakhouse is like an hour away. So there wasn't a whole lot to do. And I think at about 17 years old, I felt like a big fish in a little pond because I had this like internal burning desire to do something more with life and where I was did not, it, it didn't exist. 
I didn't know what it was. It was just this, literally this intuition inside that said, I'm bigger than this. I want to do more than this. I want to help people in a bigger way. And I think what you were, the question you were asking, something just happened the other day. My aunt was having a New Year's Day dinner with us literally yesterday. And she said, Whitney, I remember when you were 10 years old, you told granny, which was my grandmother, that you wanted to be rich one day so you could help poor people. So I think that's just an internal thing that I've always had. That I've always just wanted to kind of do more and, and have a purpose. However, when I saw what was happening to my friends when I went to college, that's when something triggered in me is because I had this, again, burning desire that I wanted something more in life. And I'm seeing all the people around me who were just stopping and settling. A lot of friends who were pregnant before we graduated from high school, um, cousins, relatives, all of my dad's siblings, either alcoholics or um, addicted to drugs in some way. Many of my friends were dying of overdoses when I was in college. And that is when things started to hit me because where I went to school was gray. I mean, 300 days out of the year, it's gray. There's no sunshine. And it put me in a stupor and put everybody around me in a stupor. So I think at that point is when it, it kind of shaped me to want to do more in a bigger way when it comes to providing opportunities. I wanted to kind of create opportunities where people didn't think they existed. For a long, long time, my mission was to give back to my hometown. And it still is in a big way. But I saw that you had like a question about paradigm shift. And it's almost when you expand to a certain level mentally, sometimes you can't go back to the way it once was. I think Jay-Z said the saying, once you've had filet mignon, it's hard to go back to hamburger helper. And it's that same way. Once a mind's expanded, it can't go back to where it used to be. So what I've learned through all of this as well is that it, it is my desire to make life so beautiful, but there are just some people out there who no matter how beautiful life is, it won't be good enough and there's nothing you can do. And that's what I started to see happening in my, in my area of where I live that it just, it kind of, um, it was more depleting to me when I'm trying to build this beautiful life and do these things to show let everybody life is beautiful. You don't need to do drugs. You don't need to drink alcohol. You can do whatever you want and believe in them trying to be their cheerleader. But if somebody doesn't want help or doesn't want to change their, their mission of where they currently are, or their state or make better choices, there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, I think I got off on a rabbit hole again, but your question about addiction and, and alcoholism, I think it shaped me because I just saw so much of it happening around me. And I knew that's not what I wanted. I, I wanted more um, to life. And if um, I stayed where I was, I probably would have ended up just like them. Definitely. Yeah. That's, man, I'm sorry you had to go through that period. Yeah, you I'm said, sorry. you said like that. I think I remember you saying that you started to give back as a way, like you said that you became a depressed person. Um, for a five-year period and that the way out was by giving back how did that process like slowly develop and how did you know that that's where you needed to start so it's a long story i'm going to try to condense it when okay. i went to so when i graduated high school i was dating a football player we dated six years of my life he um was my i was is my senior in high school he was a senior in high school at a different, a different high school. We dated our senior year. We dated all four years of college. And we went to two completely different colleges. Mine was in Cleveland, Ohio. His was in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. So it was about a four and a half hour drive from each other. Four years I dated him and he didn't really have family growing up. He, um, he had friends that he, you know, grew up with, but not really anybody that was committed to helping him get to where he needed to go. So a lot of my college years were spent making sure he 
was okay so that he could make it to the NFL. That was the mission. I thought we'd be together forever. I was 17, you know, in love thinking that he was the one. And through those four years of college, I was involved with the TV station. I got an internship with Access Hollywood in Los Angeles, California as a sophomore in college. I produced a TV show that had 60,000 viewers. Like I was doing well in college, but that whole time I could have been 20 times better for me, but I was taking care and helping him get to where he needed to go because he didn't have anybody. So on the weekends, I'm driving to Cincinnati to be at his football games, not going to my football games at my college and experiencing college in my way. But what that did is it, it put me in depression because I didn't have friends in college, just the girls that I lived with. I didn't do anything on the weekends to socialize and meet people because I was spending all my time helping him get to where he needed to go. And he wasn't asking for it. I just, that's who I am. I'm an empath and I, I help people however I can. That's when I realized I liked helping people because my mission, regardless of our relationship, was to make sure he saw the potential in himself to go and be who he wanted to be. So we graduate from college. Um, he gets drafted to the, to the Denver Broncos. He still plays for them today. I moved to South Florida with him because he's training for the NFL here. But He was going for the combine. I moved to South Florida with him, and it was like a light bulb went off in my head that there's a whole other world out there that I was not exposed to. The sun shines every day. The environment's better. I mean, people genuinely want to help you in the community. So I moved here. I started waitressing just to get a job here, basically. And he, when he gets drafted, I was actually offered a job in Los Angeles. So I moved to LA. I start working as a, a nanny for a celebrity in Los Angeles. He's playing football his first year. And two weeks after moving to California, we break up. Like officially, indefinitely, we're done. Two weeks wow. after that, yeah, my grandparent passed away. Two weeks after that, an uncle passed away. Two weeks after that, every two weeks of moving to LA, something bad was happening. One day... I get a call that my friend, his name's Michael, he had a drug overdose and he died. And the, the hardest part about that was he tried to call me and I didn't pick up the phone. And the next morning I found out that he had died. And that haunted me for a very long time. I still get nightmares about it today. But I went home for his funeral. And when I went home for his funeral, I was with all my friends and that I think is the moment that I said, we've got to do something different. He was 23 years old. He had all of his life ahead of him and he dies of a drug overdose on my plane ride back to California. My grandfather passed away while I was in the plane going back to California. So when I got oh. to California, I said, you know what? LA is not for me. I love California. I have all these big dreams. I want to be on TV. That was my goal. But in that whole time frame, all this negative stuff was happening to me, not to mention I was being a celebrity nanny. So I'm taking care of three kids and ages 10, eight, and five, I believe they were at the time. The five-year-old boy, he had so much separation anxiety that when his mom would come home from working on set, when she would um, like come home from work, he would be going to school. And if he saw her pull in before we would leave for school, he would scream and cry and kick because he wanted to spend time with his mom because he never saw her because she was mm. working he was always with a nanny so then mm. i looked at that situation and i said this woman's in her 40s and she's still not able to take her kids to school she's still not able to be there for them and help them read and do all these things and i said i don't want that i don't want to be in my 40s still working a job and my kids be crying when they're going to school because they don't get to see me i want to raise my children and in that moment and all of that happening I decided to come back to South Florida. And when I came back to South Florida, 
I started working at a car dealership because I took any job to get me where I wanted to go. And at that car dealership is where I started helping people because my job was the event coordinator. So instead of traditional advertising on websites and TV, we did nonprofit work and we would basically give nonprofits money for them to put on these events and then we would place cars at their events and mm -hmm. do that kind of stuff. So a lot of the nonprofits we were working with were um, people of all different kinds of, of organizations. One in particular was the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Another one of the Lighthouse for the Blind because the man who owned the dealership, he and his brother were completely blind. He had no vision. So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the helping people started there. Little did I know that was going to get me out of depression. I didn't help people because I knew it would. I just kind of was, I fell into helping people and I got out of the depression. Wow, that's amazing. That is a very like powerful <laughs> condensed story. Thanks. Good job. <laughs> um, so you were kind of at like this crossroads where you were living in the wrong place and you had no sense of who you were and such. Yes. How did you, how did you dig yourself out? I, I get how you dig, how you dug others out of their problems and that yeah. like made the world better and helped you understand your purpose. But um, could you speak about like the power of praying through your problems? Uh, yeah. I, I know you write a lot about that. Yeah. So uh, it started honestly when I was in LA with crying. I cried a lot. I really did. I mean, like if we could like measure the time of cry, I probably cried for years. Like that's how many mm -hmm. tears have fallen from my eyes because it's just a therapy for me. But um, crying definitely was a piece of it. It's really hard to get motivated to work out when you're depressed, but um, I just started with literally walking and I would go on drives and I would drive to places that were beautiful. I'm a Taurus, I'm an earth sign. So like, I love anything that's plant oriented, ocean oriented, jungle oriented. And so a lot of my overcoming for myself was just surrounding myself in those environments that were peaceful and calming to me. Um, mm -hmm. I read the book, The Secret. Um, I got really in tune with the laws of attraction. And then I decided that I wanted to learn about God and I'm not pushing religion on anybody because since I've been baptized a lot of, I have a lot of different perspectives now, but, um, in doing so I started praying and the praying thing came from my mom because my mom has always been a religious woman and she just, she's prayed for me a lot of times and has said, just talk to God, talk to God, whatever. Mm -hmm. so that kind of is how it started. But then in my adult life, I realized that I never really learned about religion in any sense. I never really knew a whole lot about it. So when I was living in Florida, um, I called a church to learn about God. Basically I called about six churches and the only church that answered was a Catholic church in, in Florida that said that they would help me get baptized. So I went to the Catholic church. I started going to classes on Mondays and that's how I learned how to pray. Cause I didn't know, I had no idea. I would just literally start talking and I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do that. But, um, that is where it all kind of changed for me. I started going Monday nights to a Catholic church in Florida. And before you know it, I was baptized Catholic. Don't necessarily believe in everything that Catholics believe in, but I was on the, the verge of just learning about religion and learning about this higher power of some sort simultaneously learning about Buddha and learning about meditation and learning about the laws of the universe. So, um, it all is kind of intertwined the way that I typically pray is I take three minutes a day and I, talk to a higher power, whatever that is that anybody believes mm -hmm. in. So I'll wake up in the morning. I used to do this thing where as soon as my feet touch the ground, each foot, I say thank you on each foot as I get up. And I try to say thank you as many times as I can when I wake up. And I now have a meditation room in my house that is dedicated to meditation and prayer and yoga and stretching. 
I just bought an infrared sauna for that room so that I can now detox and relax wholeheartedly. I believe in oils and salt lamps and all of that stuff. But I think if you could take three minutes a day and it, three minutes is, is enough to start. I mean, it, it feels like it could be a long time when you first start doing it, but after you start doing it on a regular basis, three minutes becomes um, fairly quick. It feels like 30 seconds sometimes. And you just shut your mind off and think about whatever it is you need to say. And that's kind of how it started. Three minutes a day and I write 10 things I'm grateful for every morning. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that, wow. Um, I do a lot of that stuff as well. Cool. Some days are better than others. I mean, I, I try to get up this morning to do it and I'm lacking sleep from the new year. So um, I didn't do it today, but I will before the end of the day. That's usually the goal. That's my situation also. I, today's the first day I haven't meditated when I woke up in about like four or five weeks. Yeah. It's crazy when you don't meditate, how, how chaotic things seem. Like if I mm -hmm. wake up, I sit in the room, I just listen either to music or nothing, or I put on Abraham Hicks or Esther Hicks, some sort of opening your yeah. mindset for the day. And then I'm, I usually feel good and nothing really irritates me. But I notice when I don't do that, that's when depression can sink in. And that's when, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you become much more resilient to those outside energies that like oftentimes can attack us. And if you have that like preparation every morning, you, that stuff, you, you can use that stuff as yes. a tool to For sure. yeah, empower yourself. I'm interested in how you see them relating. Um, Cause I also identify as like a Christian and I have been my whole life and it's gotten stronger and stronger in adulthood as I've become a more independent person. Yep. Um, I'm in like a small group. I go to church and I pray every day. Um, I feel really close to God right now in my life. Um, I also am like compared to most Christian people, very into mindfulness and Buddhism. I lived in Thailand for two years. No way. Wow. I did a 10 day meditation course in Vipassana meditation when we were silent for 10 days oh and it was amazing. And yeah, like, about that. there's no way that someone can deny that like this is incredibly empowering stuff to like observe your thought patterns and your sensations and, um, you just like get wisdom from it. Yeah. And I really respect how the Buddha like committed his life to that. Um, and then served other people until, until like his last hours, last minutes. Yeah. Um, so like I am both. How do you, how do you, do you find any like contradictions or discrepancies? Cause people on both sides judge you for being the other one. I and I, I'm I, not, I, there's a, there's a video that Esther Hicks or Abraham Hicks, whatever, however you, you read it. Um, she, talks about that where there was a guy that actually went to her seminars who was shunned by his church because he believed in the laws of attraction. They said it's like voodooism and all these weird things. Mm -hmm. um, she had a, a video that basically handled that objection. I don't know offhand what exactly she said, but after I heard that, it all made sense to me. I guess I believe like God created the universe and that's where his, he is the highest power, but I believe in the laws of attraction. I believe that what you give you receive. And I think that's mm -hmm. all through the Bible too. It's just, mm -hmm. it's all about giving. It's all about good karma. It's all about helping your neighbor and helping your friend. And I think that's more what I take about it with the law of attraction. It's not magic, so to speak, but it almost feels like magic. And if you look at magic as like a miracle and as a godsend, it all kind of just intertwines. I think when I pray, I'm talking to God, but I believe there is a power, a universal power that exists in the world. And I think that's where maybe God created that I don't know. I just, mm -hmm. I guess we don't ever really know, but right. I know I feel better when I think happy thoughts 
And when I think happy thoughts and I feel good, better things happen in my life. So. What does your meditation practice look like? It's different uh, every day, but I, I have a hard time clearing my mind. And I've heard even the, the same when people say you don't want to, meditation is to clear your mind. You don't have to clear your mind to meditate. In meditation, your mind becomes clear. So I actually went to therapy for a long time because of the, the depression and mental abuse that I, I had been through. And my therapist said, just sit in a quiet room. You don't have to necessarily listen to a video or anything. But what I like is guided meditation. I like to get a YouTube video and just listen to what they're telling me to do and do that each morning. So anywhere between at least 10 minutes up to 30 minutes, I'll do either a, a video or I'll just listen to calming music and just literally sit and drink my tea and think. Sometimes I will listen to um, like Wayne Dyer or Bob Proctor or Abraham Hicks or even like Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer on occasion, whatever morning elevation I need aside from the meditation. So it's usually an hour to an hour and a half in my meditation room of um, wow. yeah, music guided and motivational stuff. How did you make the switch to allowing that extra time in your life? I know you're an incredibly busy person. I consider myself that too, but I find that like busy people that are productive, like they need to take that time out. It's, how did you, how did you develop that? Do you have to like wake up extra early? Was that hard in the beginning? It, how do you suggest people take baby steps into that practice? The biggest thing that, that started it is I would, if I, when I started driving to work, when I was actually working a regular job, I would listen to it in my car, not even over my headphones. I would just play it on my phone and listen to it with up to my ear driving to where I need to go. I rarely listen to the radio. I like rap music. I like hip hop, but a lot of times the verbiage in those songs are such negative. Um, what's the word? I believe in, you know, you speak things into existence, so to speak. So if I'm rapping about, you know, clubs and, cars and, clothes and you know, right. it's not going to do anything for me growth wise. So a lot of times I don't listen to that music. If I'm going to the gym, it's a different story. But um, I started by listening to it in my car. During workouts, sometimes I will listen to it on my phone. My Spotify list is usually uh, either the Abraham video, the Abraham Hicks Spotify, because it's not just Abraham, it's just elevated music and, and motivational stuff. Um, mm. So the gym, the car ride, now the airplane, I fly to LA tomorrow, I've got a five hour flight, so I'll be listening to all meditation music on the flight. So it'll be five hours basically of meditation. Um, mornings getting up early that's usually a struggle for me because of my sleep schedule being so weird but uh in a perfect world i would wake up before 7 a.m and be done meditating and everything by 8 a.m that's just mm -hmm. a challenge when you don't go to bed or you get a flight that comes in at 1 a.m it's hard to do that so right yeah. how do you decide when it's time to like put away your endless stream of work and, and give yourself a one and a half hour meditation time is that hard for you it, it's hard but it's usually how i feel i've learned a lot through the process that it's all about how you feel. If you feel okay and you can do it, do it. But if I start to get irritable or like get, get, um, what's the other word? Um, not necessarily irritable, irritated, I guess, or just little things start to set me up. Agitated? Yes. I need to just take a minute and, and go away. Even if it is literally just look up a video that's five minutes long and listen to it for a moment. Oh I, yeah. It yeah. changes you yeah. completely. That breathing techniques have helped. Um, and yeah, usually it's just how I feel though. If I feel okay, I just pursue my day. It seems like, like I, I think about like flow, like when you find that you're getting out of flow or you're feeling stuck in your movement forward, I think that's a good time to like come back inward and like get, 
recalibrated. Yes. And what I notice is if I do it on a regular basis, like I'm supposed to for my own well-being, I don't get to that point where I'm irritable or agitated. So I can only go so many days or so many weeks not doing it before it hits me that I have to start doing it again. Wow. Yeah. Cool. It's good to meet another fellow meditator. Um, you also talk about writing as a vehicle too. And I really, really enjoyed reading your website. I think you're yeah. a really, really like powerful writer. Thanks. You express things very clearly and powerfully and uniquely to you. Thanks. Can you tell me how like writing has influenced your sense of purpose and your self learning? Yeah. Well, one thing about it too, is if you notice on the website, it's not very up to date and that's because I've had writer's block for almost a year no joke and I can't get through it I don't know how to fix it I've gone to therapy for that just to figure out how to get through the writer's block but what I realized is a lot of my writing came from pain so when I was in a situation that was painful mental abuse or um just like uneasiness or the sense of loss like when I lost my friend the only thing that got me through it was writing about how I felt and I don't know where along the line it started for that I, I've always been into poetry and writing when I was a kid but somewhere I read something or heard something that said to write down how you feel. And instead of sending a mean text message to somebody, write it out in your notes first and evaluate it and then go back and read it at a later date. Give yourself 24 hours when you write something before you would post it or, or send it to somebody. And that's where it started. That was um, probably about age 24. Um, the website that I have for, for my name that all came intertwined with Miss Florida USA when I competed in the pageant because I started writing on Facebook, but my Facebook posts were so long that it was annoying to people who were scrolling that didn't want to read this giant thing. So I created a website so they had a platform for it. I didn't realize that people were actually viewing what I was writing. I was writing for therapy and they were reading it for entertainment. So I had, I think my very first post I ever wrote, I think was about, my ex-boyfriend or maybe it wasn't my first one but it was the first big one about mm -hmm. the professional athlete it's not no longer published on my website just because he is very famous now and he has a wife and a child on the way and I didn't want to create any chaos between that but um I took that post down but that post within an hour and a half had like 1200 views and or not even within an hour and a half I think it was within like 30 minutes it had 1200 views on google and then all of these things just kept coming so every post I've had has been like thousands of viewers and um when i realized that like what i was writing other people were feeling too they just didn't kind of know how to put it into words that kind of launched it to be more of a platform for people so i was writing for therapy they were reading it for i guess therapy as well and entertainment and then this past year i've had writer's block i just my my writing used to come from pain and now it's um it's hard to write because i'm not i'm not in pain anymore I think, right. uh, yeah well yeah, I understand that. That makes sense. Like a lot of great art comes out of the struggle. Yeah. Um, and you, you have, it doesn't seem like you've made it to quite the opposite version of that yet. To like, you're not satisfied and like content fully and just like sitting back, right? Like you're right. No, yeah. hard working towards your journey. Yeah. And there's things I could definitely write about. I think now is finding the time to do it. And because I'm doing like the gratitude practices every day and little things, I still write, just not so much for the public eye. I've always been a writer. I went to school for journalism. So my goal was to be a producer and a, and a reporter. That's what I want to do is write, but um, it took a, a different turn. And now I just kind of write for, for my own well-being. I have a book that I'm writing and I, again, have had writer's block for a year. So it's been sitting there just waiting. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I get it. I had a blog that was super empower- important to me when I was in Thailand. I, each post was like 10,000 words long. I wrote like 17 of them. It's like a book and a half waiting to be published one day. <laughs> it was, yeah, but like the power of like just going on my motorbike to the mountains and like sitting outside in a coffee shop and like digesting my thoughts for like four hours and like putting out something that was like, I didn't know I believed this, but like, this is true. And this is true about me. Yeah. Like now I have something to go from it. Yep. And I share that with others as I'm like moving around the world and it feel, you feel connected. Yes. I think writing is super powerful. Like, yeah. I think I highly recommend writing. Same, same here. So I'm sorry that like you got to be a famous writer because of your relationship. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I want to ask a little bit about that. You can feel free to share as much as you want, but you also mentioned it in your post on prayer. You were praying for a romantic relationship. What have you learned about romantic relationships? How do we find our dream relationships? And what role does you knowing your purpose and playing out your purpose play in finding this dream relationship? I think that, I think we can all love many people. I truly do. I, I would say, go to say that I, I do love every person I've ever been with in some way, shape or form because of what they've taught me. But if you don't know who you are, I feel like your relationships will always fail until you really know what you want, what you deserve, where you're going. And you don't have to know everything. You don't have to know, I want two kids. I want, you know, you don't, you can, but if, if I think the biggest thing is knowing what you want in a relationship, meaning to be treated kindly, to be respected, to grow with somebody like those things or whatever they may be for somebody. Um, can you rephrase the question just one more time? So I answer all of it. Yeah, it was, um, how do you think we find our dream relationships and what role does knowing and playing your purpose um, play in finding your dream relationship right so i think that i i truly 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 believe in fate i truly truly believe that everything happens for a reason and i even had a post about that i mean the the guy that i most recently dated before the the person i'm with now who i'm 99.999 percent sure is the one i will be with for the rest of my life um i thought that once before because i met somebody on a whim at the post office and a series of events had to have happened for me to be able for that to happen. So I, I truly believe everything happens for a reason. I'm not from Florida for me to come to Florida and fall in love. Something brought me here. And I believe that played a role in getting me to where I needed to go. I think what happens is you have to figure out who you are and what you want, period. If you don't know what you want, I recommend writing a list of everything you don't want. If you don't know what you want in somebody or don't know what you want in life, write down what you know you don't want. I don't want to be cheated on. I don't want to be treated poorly. I don't want to feel insecure, you know, whatever it is. Then when you figure out what you don't want, you know what you do want. So if you don't want to be cheated on, you know, you want to be committed to, you know, you want to be in a, a, with a loving partner or a loyal partner or whatever, then you can get specific with what you want. Then meditate on that. I think that's the biggest thing is when you know what you want, after you figure out what you don't want, then you can kind of get specific with what it is that you, you see in a relationship or see in your future. And in doing that, you're going to feel different internally. When you think about cheating, lying, pain, that doesn't feel good. When you think about growth, fun, laughing, you know, things that most people would want a partner, then your energy changes. And then you are kind of attracting those types of people into your circle. And when you know who you are, you won't accept anything less. And you'll be literally people will come in and, repel out of your life like like i don't even know what like bug spray i guess they just literally come in and out and you'll see it happen you'll see people fall away from from what you are or what you want because they won't level up to where you are and what you need wow 
That's some profound wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it, it happened recently in my life. It really did. I, I was I was in a relationship and I thought that I was going to be with that person forever. And randomly one day I came home from an event and he said, I don't think we can be together anymore. Out of nowhere. And I had been doing work. on my How did he come to understand that? Was he doing some meditation practice on what he doesn't want in a relationship? I don't know. He, he's in recovery. So there, there's a definitely a, an understanding of, of, spirituality and things that they do when you're doing the 12 steps and, and things mm -hmm. like that. But I think he felt internally that something wasn't right for what he wanted. And same thing with me. We were just on two different paths. And uh, when I came home that one day, I had been doing the work on myself. I read a book called The Magic and it's a 28 day gratitude practice. Um, and it's like in correlation with the secret, the book, the power and the hero. They're all kind of intertwined. Well, the magic is 28 days of gratitude pretty much. And I was on day 23 or 24 and I come home and he says, we can't be together anymore. And so I said, okay, all right. I mean, I was so good with me that I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll see you later. And I just kind of got on my way. I got an apartment and just started living my life, started speaking for the company and things just kind of unravel and evolve in bigger ways. And I met someone else who treats me like a queen. And, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember what I was even starting to talk about. I just know that when you get specific with what you want and you're okay with who you are and you know what you want, those crazy, bizarre things will happen and you'll be completely okay because you're okay with who you are and what you deserve. You won't accept mm -hmm. anything less. So you I, didn't go backwards into depression when that happened? For a moment, but it was like, it was just more like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. I cried and I said, okay, well, you know, I love you. So let's figure this out. What do I need to do? And we lived in a house together and he said, I, I think you should move out. And I said, okay. So I went and stayed with my parents for about three days and I said, no way, not doing it, get in my own place. I make enough money, I stand on my own two feet, I've got investments, I've got things going. I don't need a man, I don't need anybody to, to not want me, I don't need to wait around, I'll just handle it. And I did and it has made all the difference. If yeah. you are so dependent on another person in a relationship, if that were to happen, they act desperate, it's the fight or flight response. You just you know, tend to think that you're not worthy or you don't know what you deserve and you'll you'll act accordingly so if you know who you are number one you won't be in the wrong relationship but if you are in the wrong relationship and you you know who you are then when it ends you'll be okay and you'll just be on to the next one and something better is always on the other side as a listener of people of purpose you can now get started with the vision pursuit app for a discounted rate by inputting the special access code POPVP, that's P-O-P-V-P. This is a 60-day program that will allow your life to be transformed by refining your vision. In Vision Pursuit, you'll have three things to do each day, and once you finish a day, it will automatically move you to the next day through the 60-day program. Sign up now through our promo code POPVP and get the first 16 days free. If you don't like it in the first 16 days, you're free to cancel with no charge. For less than $20, you will have a daily coach, accountability, and a vision like you've never had before. So give it a go. This also kind of correlates with this power of surrounding yourself with good people. I noticed that that's a theme in, in it was in your speech when I first met you, and it's a theme in your writing. Uh, how have better people come into your life, and how has that impacted your path to purpose? I think most of what I've experienced is not so much better people coming to my life, although they have, but it's more the bad people fall away. So when, when you start this spiritual mission or whatever it is that you're, you're seeking for, for purpose, 
eventually you get so good with who you are that you kind of don't care if you're alone. You don't care if you have friends, you don't care about going and doing things that you genuinely don't want to do because of the, the need or the codependency of being with somebody else as a friend or a romantic partner. But what I've noticed is that the people who have come into my life have needed me as much as I've needed them. Mm -hmm. Maybe not financially or whatever, but whatever it is, if it's just a word that I've said that they need to hear, or if it's a different thought that I need to think, whatever we both need, I see that all the relationships I have now are mutually beneficial. Where before I was kind of being sucked dry of everything I had to offer while helping other people. And it's not their fault. It was my fault for, for just allowing that to happen. But um, I think now the, the relationships I have, they all have a purpose, every single one of them. Right. Where before, it was just kind of codependency in a lot of times, yeah. just comfort. I get it. But you say yeah. like in your purpose statement that it's to provide second chances and leave people in better condition. I'm wondering like if you're around people that are doing really well in their lives and they're helping you do better and you're helping them do better, like how are you how are you fulfilling that purpose through your relationships? Because you have to be careful about people bringing you down, like you said. Um, yep. Yeah. So how has your new crowd changed that? I have, I would say I have multiple circles. So I've got those people who are of high net worth, who elevate me on a mindset and a financial well-being. But then I have the people who keep me grounded and um, I help more on like a physical or a, a spiritual basis. So for example, I'm a real estate investor. So I have people in my circle who understand money and understand structuring real estate deals and understand um, building power teams and financial success. But then I have people who understand giving back and nonprofit work and helping people and spirituality and things like that. So it's two different circles. But I think that the, the answer to that is you got to have a happy medium between both types of people, if that makes sense. Because what the financially independent and substantial people are doing for me from a mindset standpoint, I think I'm doing from them as a confidence standpoint. So like all the people in my circle who have money or can teach me wealth are 10 years or more older than me. I'm 28. Most of them are 40 or older. So they're appreciating my confidence as a youth and that's doing something for them in some way. And they're teaching me. And I don't know, I think that they're getting something from that relationship as well, where the people who are coming and living in my houses don't have two nickels to rub together and have one pair of underwear. And, and for them, it's like, we're, we're miracle workers and we're helping them get their life back. And I know that that relationship for them is going to do something for them. They're providing a, a financial benefit for me, but it's also a spiritual and internal thing that they're doing. And I know down the road, they're going to remember that. And it's going to hopefully change their paradigm in some way. Yeah. It's really cool that you found a medium to be able to grow yourself so much and grow your income and like financial situation so well, but, and not have to sacrifice like your sense of humanity and drive to like help develop people around you. It's really cool yeah. that you can like marry the two. Well, some days are harder than others for sure. Um, you know, and sometimes it does deplete you, but that's why you have to have meditation and prayer and those things in your life too. So you can kind of get rid of it. It's, it's anything like if you're a therapist or a psychologist or an attorney and you're, you're a criminal attorney, so to speak, where you're taking home those problems of your clients or your people with you. And sometimes that's how I feel, but that's where your, your sureness of who you are and your gratitude practices and meditation help you get rid of the, any negative energy that you do have. Right. So how did you change your mindset around um, your personal finance? Like what, what is that change that has, that has shifted in you since you've 
gone forward on the path of real estate investing. Well, one thing that tailors back to is when I was about 14 or 15 years old, um, I wanted to do something. I don't know what it was. And I didn't, I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to ask for money to do it. I didn't want to ask my parents. So I decided that I wanted to get a job and I wanted to start making my own money. And that's when my mom taught me that a man is not a financial plan, meaning you can't, or you can, but I didn't want to have to be with somebody or depend on somebody, whether it's a parent, a spouse, a job, a boss for my life. And that's, I think one of the biggest things that I, I hope people get from any of this is that you you can do anything you want in this world. There are zero limitations, only the limitations that you create for yourself. So if you believe that you have to depend on somebody financially to get to where you want to go, then okay, that you're right. But if you don't, you don't, you don't have to do that. And that's where I was. I didn't want to depend on anybody for anything. So in my adult life, I was working a lot of jobs and uh, realized that it wasn't really changing the income. I might be making more money on paper, but I was still paying taxes and I was still doing a lot of things that weren't going to get me where I wanted to go financially. So I grew up in an, in an investor mindset household. My dad was a huge fan of Robert Kiyosaki. He wrote a book back in the day. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, just off the hand, I'm, I'm having kind of a brain fart. I can't remember, but it's called no money down, I believe. Um, and that my dad read years ago and he started investing in real estate. So I grew up kind of understanding that money is not that hard to get. I think many people believe that it is challenging to, to get money, but a million dollars really isn't that, that far out of reach if you have a financial education. If you're depending on somebody else, then yeah, if you're working a job, a nine to five, you're in control or somebody else is in control of your finances. But if you have a different mindset and have the abundant mentality that it's really not that difficult, it really isn't. So my dad read several books, one in particular, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, I read that in my adult life as well. And that shifted my paradigm about wanting to make money. The real thing that happened is I was working at a job and the, the owner of the business sold his business and that left me on the fence of a job. And when it left me on the fence of a job, I realized, wow, a job is not security. If, if somebody fires you today, what are you going to do tomorrow? How are you going to feed your family? How are you going to be a mom? Which is one of my goals. How are you going to help all these people if you don't have any money coming in? And so fortunately I reached out to my dad and I said, dad, I want to learn how to invest in real estate. And he guided me along the path of what to do to do that. And, um, that, that happened at about 25 years old. So I think the answer in a nutshell is I had enough pain in my life to make a change and realize that having a job was not going to, to get me where I wanted to go, right. that I had to have investments and learn about money, not just what we're taught in school, but money on a bigger scale, how it works, um, why it's not the same value as it used to be, so to speak, um, how to make more of it. I understood credit, not my credit score. I don't care about my credit score. I mean credit as in the ability to borrow, the, the, the high levels of, of, of amounts that you can have on credit cards. And it's just a, a huge paradigm shift. But um, I think that after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, it really just sunk in for me that there is a different way and there's something else you can do. Well, I'm just going through that. I just read Rich Dad Poor Dad <laughs> two months ago and it has completely changed my paradigm about things. And I'm really excited to like continue to explore and start to take action um, towards okay. those things. Cause yeah, I mean, it's really powerful to realize like the people that lose in the game of money are the people that are just working for the job. That, those are the people that are paying the most in taxes or trading their time for their money. They're coming home with no energy for things that actually matter to them like their family and stuff yeah. like that um and it's 
Yeah, it's an understanding that my brother has really well. He's been doing two years of stock trading now and he's 24 years old and he's like killing it at that. Um, and I've been like trying to live my purpose. You know, I was an English teacher in Thailand. Um, I'm teaching right now um, seventh grade students in like an urban school setting. Um, yeah. But that this does, it's not a sustainable way or a more, it's not as impactful of a way as, as it could be if you also had yeah. like the wealth and the freedom um, to go with it. So. I mean, yeah, I'm really excited to see where my journey takes me from this book because this book is amazing. Like, I really recommend it, people to read it. it. It will take you where you want to go for sure. And it's just an understanding of, of a, a different paradigm. And most people that want to give you advice on it are the ones who aren't doing it. That's the biggest problem I think people face is that 95% of our population functions with the poor dad mentality. So if you're getting advice from the 95% of people, that's the problem. You can achieve any amount of wealth that you want. You just have to believe that you can and that's what the rich dad poor dad will, will guide you to yeah and another book is think and grow rich by napoleon yeah. hill like that's a huge book about like it goes along with the spirituality stuff it's like manifesting yeah. your reality by your how, how big you're thinking and yes yeah like I also another, that. Book, another book that uh napoleon hill wrote called outwitting the devil i highly recommend it especially if you're on the spiritual side of things it's basically a conversation that napoleon has with the devil and how the devil tries to appear in our life in things like greed, fear, doubt, worry. Um, and that is a book that changed my paradigm for sure. Probably about a year ago, I read that book and that's, it's made all the difference. Sweet, that's awesome. So how, I wanna talk about reading now all of a sudden, but I also wanna talk about your real estate investing. Um, okay. Well, I keep going on real estate investing. Um, you have partnered with 55 nonprofits through it. Um, why are you partnering with nonprofits and how are you doing it through real estate? And what are, do you have a story or two you could share about how you've really, really influenced people's lives? Yeah. So there's a couple things I've worked with about 67 nonprofit organizations aside from real estate. So not necessarily with real estate, just in general mm -hmm. with my former job and doing different things. One way that, um, the real estate has now helped is I'm, I'm not working necessarily with a nonprofit, but I'm working with the department of corrections. So I'll be renting and I am renting houses that I have in Florida to the Department of Corrections so that they can house people coming out of prison, for basically giving them a second chance at life. Department of Corrections or nonprofits will pay their rent so that they can basically have time to go get a job and, and that kind of thing. But what's nice about it from an investment standpoint is it's a lot of money. You, you make a high profit doing that. It's different in every county and every city, um, but you can cash flow. So if you're familiar with cash flow, you can cash flow quite a bit doing that, but at the same time you're helping people. The nonprofit side of it though, like a lot of nonprofits like homeless veterans or the VA or um, uh, different organizations that have to do with drug and alcohol recovery or domestic violence or um, foster care, a lot of those nonprofits will pay portions of the rent for those people in need. And because they're a lot of them are a protected class, you can put multiple people in under in under one one house. So uh, the nonprofit side of it, what's really cool, and this is, again, why I say everything happens for a reason, is I've worked with 55 to 67. 55 is vetted that I have proven, but 67 nonprofits years ago that had nothing to do with real estate. And now it's coming full circle that I'm, I'm working with these nonprofits so that they can house people. And it's like if those relationships wouldn't have been established four or five years ago, I probably wouldn't be in the position that I'm in to be able to help these people and have that go to with these nonprofits so much that I was actually asked to be on the board of a nonprofit that I'm working with. Um, 
just two weeks ago. They asked me to sit on the board because of being a millennial and contributing so much to the nonprofit that they think it's a powerful thing. So they asked me to be on the, on the board of it. I go once a month and create vision boards with all the little girls that they're housing. And um, it's become, it's become a cool thing. But in terms of like the structure and stuff of it, a lot of nonprofits basically pay the rent for the people that, that are needing that second chance at life. Mm-hmm. And my investments provide the housing. How did you become, um, how did you gain the knowledge or the skills or the basic understanding of how to do this? It seems like such a far away career for, for most people to imagine that they're going to be, you know, buying homes and housing a bunch of people in them and moving around a lot of money. Like, I, I think I understand it because I've been to the courses now, but can you kind of help people to understand um, yeah, how they can become more educated in, in financial sure. education and real estate investing? Yeah. So I, um, I heard, well, well, my, my father is a product of financial education. There are companies all over the United States that, that, um, promote real estate investing and how to flip houses and things like that. Um, I went to the only publicly traded company that's out there, meaning that there's transparency and they can't make false claims. Um, I won't say their name just for the sake of legal things, but I, I went to the only publicly traded company out there and I got a financial education. But with all of that, that's how I learned how to structure deals. And, and my father understood it. So he helped me. But aside from that, I found out my why. And then the real estate became the vehicle. And what I mean by that is I met somebody who wanted to, who was working actively in recovery. He was, he was helping people in drug and alcohol recovery because he was a former addict. And he was the one I met at the post office and was one of the, the loves of my life. And we started building a business together to where we owned a halfway house. And that was his mission along with mine because I had had the friend that died of a drug overdose years ago. And I have family who was in addiction and alcoholism and several different things that triggered me to want to help that group of people. Mm-hmm. But he was already doing it. So when I met him, that's where my why was developed of giving people second chances and really learning that I wanted to make life so amazing that the people around me never felt the need to stick a needle in their arm again or, you know, get this temporary high that's artificial where life can be so beautiful that you don't need the temporary high, Mm -hmm. that you can have that real true high on life without drugs, without alcohol. So I met him and it just kind of intertwined right there simultaneously with getting educated. It all happened at the perfect timing. And that's again, why I believe everything happens for a reason. We are no longer together, but that, that relationship his mom is now one of my investors and now she provides some of the, um, the private money lending so that I can do some of these deals. So I don't, I don't use my own money to, to buy real estate. I don't use my own credit. I do different strategies that I learned through getting a financial education from a seminar company that's out there that taught me it. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think like are the like maybe top two or three skill sets that you've developed since doing real estate investing? Um, I would have to say confidence. And I think that's a skill set because when you're young, if you're a millennial and you're talking about money or you're talking about the housing market or real estate, you're going to be faced with challenges that, or I should say the challenge that you're too young to know what you're talking about. Right. Because there's just a history of real estate in this country and a history of market crashes and things that so many people think they know so much about, but that's where reading rich dad, poor dad and understanding this stuff in a bigger way helps you understand that 95% of our population functions with the poor dad mentality. So the people who are telling you and, and contributing to your negativity or thought process about the real estate market or financials, they really don't know what they're talking about it, compared to the 5% of the population who does. Right. So um, with that, 
the confidence, I think, is one of the biggest skill sets I've, I've established or achieved with investing with real estate. Because when you have the knowledge about it and you, you start doing it in a bigger way, um, your confidence definitely goes up. And I think that that's been one of the biggest benefits for me. Because when you are a millennial, people are going to think that you're too young to know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, second skill set, I don't know. That's um, enough if you just want to stop at one. Okay, I noticed that you have that too. Um, and I noticed like you've recently become a professional speaker. Um, I think you have a very strong gift with delivering a message very powerfully that can resonate with any and all people. Um, I know like sitting at the free workshop and like learning from you, it really like it pushed me into like action and to confront things that like we're typically don't not asked or not forced to confront around like our personal finances. Um, yeah, so I just like, I guess I just noticed that about you and I think it's like amazing. How did you learn? How did you learn that skill to deliver a message in that way? Honestly, it's a gift and I don't, I don't want that to sound like cheesy, but I think like ever since I was a kid, my mom said, you have a gift to gab. You, you have that gift. And that's something that I didn't even know you could make a career out of. Mm -hmm. I was 17 years old cheerleading at a football game and I was saying something, I don't remember what happened. And we were talking about majors in college, what we wanted to major in. And I thought that in order to be on TV, like a weather girl, that I would have to major in meteorology. I didn't know that journalism or like entertainment news or any of those things existed. So I had a friend that said, why don't you go to school for broadcasting? And I was like, you can do that? And they're like, yeah. So I applied to all these universities with all these different majors, psychology, meteorology, law, I mean, random stuff until I found that you could actually major in communications. I didn't know that. So I, I went to Kent State University uh, for journalism, broadcasting, started working at the TV station my freshman year. So in terms of delivering, writing, all of that, it came from there. However, my freshman year there, I had two professors tell me that I needed to switch my major because I was a terrible writer. And um, wow. I, yeah. And my grammar and my, my for, forming of sentences was, was backwards and was not for news. So they told me that I, I wouldn't make it in the business. And so I proved them wrong. How did you fall out of the business? Um, the negativity, to be honest with you. I did not like how everything was so focused on negative, just a shooting, a, a murder, this and that, politics. I don't have any interest in politics. I have zero interest in anything related to government, any of it. I mean, I just, I'm a law abiding citizen. I follow the laws and I pay the taxes. That's it. I understand corporate structure. So the taxes don't scare me. Um, interest rates on money doesn't scare me. Things that people get so hung up on. I have zero interest in. If someone talks politics, you will see me quickly change the subject or walk away. And I just, um, I have no interest in it. And all of the reporting that I was exposed to was very political. All of it. It was all a lot of negative stuff. And then when I got into the entertainment world and I was working for a celebrity who was a, a news reporter, so to speak, I didn't like that either. I enjoyed in interviewing celebrities, which was fun. During my internship, I interviewed probably a hundred celebrities from Jim Carrey to Julia Roberts, to Tom Hanks. Awesome. Love that stuff. But I was not willing to work my way to that point to be 50 years old, finally interviewing these people in a big way and still having my kids at home be raised by a nanny and not being financially free. So it kind of took a turn when I realized that it wasn't going to get me the, where I wanted to go as a human being. Mm -hmm. How did uh, fear start to creep in? Fear, doubt, all these things that we just talked about with the Napoleon Hill book, Outwitting the Devil. 
when you made the leap to go into real estate investing and you're doing those first deals, how did you overcome the fear? Because I, I, I know that I will have a lot of fear when I'm doing that. It's honestly, you just do it. You have to push through it. I mean, there's every day I have fear. I was working on a $1.5 million mobile home park a couple months ago, eight months ago now. And it, it was probably one of the scariest things that I've ever done. But when you have the knowledge, whether it's real estate, whether it's anything, whatever your subject is, when you have the knowledge and you know ways to get out of the deals or exit strategies, that's what helps is when you're able to, to, I think confidence is increased when you increase your knowledge. So the biggest thing that helped me with my fear is knowing more about the subject or the opportunity or the investment than, than most people. So when you kind of set that, that intention, the fear starts to dissipate a little bit. I think the fear is always there in terms of like, I don't know, you get into more debt, you know, you get into bigger situations that are a little more um, challenging because at first, you know, I used to be afraid of $10,000 of credit card debt. Now I'm sitting in six figures in, in debt and it doesn't bother me or it does, but it's a new, it's a new devil. It's because you're going to a new level. It's going to be a new thing you have to kind of adjust to, but that's growth. So I think without the fear, you're not going to have the growth. You just got to meditate in the meantime and, and get specific with um, what you really want. And when you know why you want something, that fear starts to go away too. And what about the opposite end of that spectrum? When you're getting that six figure check, how do you quell that desire to feel um, like, you know, larger than life and, you know, how do you stay humble? That it's, I think that just comes back to who you are as a human being. I don't think money changes people. I think it just elevates who you are. If you're a bad person without money, you're gonna be a bad person with money. Mm -hmm. If you're a good person without money, you'll be a good person with money. Um, I think one thing that just, it kind of blows my friends away and I don't say this to tout anything, but um, we were eating dinner for New Year's Eve the other night. And I, I you know, if you go to like a, a bar and you have like the people in the bathroom who give you the soap and give you the, the paper towels and things like that. I tipped the woman a hundred dollars and everyone with me was like, what? Why would you do that? I'm like, well, number one, you got to give to receive. But number two, I know that $100 is going to mean a lot more to that woman than it is to me buying drinks with my friends for the night. Like this woman set out her holiday. She's spending it away from family, sitting in a bathroom, giving out tissues and mints and gum and nobody was tipping her. So I think the biggest way to stay humble is to, you've got to stay true to who you are. You can't lose yourself in the process of obtaining wealth. You have to give to receive, you have to do things in a bigger way. In addition to that, I donated $25,000 to a nonprofit organization this year. $25,000 was more than I was offered my first job graduating college. So wow. that's a substantial amount of money for anybody. But I think that's what you have to do when you get to bigger levels is you got to, you got to make your donations match your, your financials, I guess it, that 100 for the, the woman in the bathroom was nothing compared to the big result. If you give a hundred dollars to potentially change that woman's life forever. I mean, that's to me, that's worth it. How do you know that you have to give to receive? Because when I do it, number one, I feel better, but it comes back to you tenfold. I used to just want to make $40,000 a year. That was my goal. I'm like, if I can make 40 to 60,000 a year, I'll be happy. I'm well over the six figure mark now. And I think that because of everything that I've practiced, the, the four years I spent in depression, learning who I am and what I want in life and giving beyond the pain has put me in the position I'm in right now. Um, it's just happened in my own life. I see it every day. And I think that that's how I know that it, it, it works. Wow. That's amazing.
Um, so I want to go into some like general questions on purpose that we could answer like fairly quickly, like maybe okay. like a bit of a lightning round of sorts. Um, okay. So like maybe a few sentences or something per answer. Okay. Um, why does the world need your purpose? Hmm. Why does the world need my purpose? I guess quick answer, there's not enough people who have purpose. And I think that when someone young can, can have so much purpose at a young age, it's, it's um, inspiring to many. Mm -hmm. What's a question you wish people asked you more? And what's your answer to that question? If you're happy. I think people so often want to say, are you married? Where do you work? What's your job? What's your career? But so many people forget to ask you or just don't ask you if you're actually happy. Um, I wish people would ask me more often if I'm happy. The other question is what I value most about my life because my answer is second chances. I believe everyone deserves a second chance. I believe everybody should be given a second chance. And I believe if you have the opportunity to, to take a second chance in your life, you should every single time. Wow. Um, what have you unlearned to find purpose? Habits. I've unlearned habits to find purpose. We are very habitual as human beings. And until you break your habits, your negative habits, or understand your habits, you can't elevate yourself. Great. What's the lesson on purpose that took you the longest to learn? Lesson on purpose. That everything happens for a reason. Although I believe in it wholeheartedly, it's taken me a very long time to get there because when things do happen sometimes in my life and I question them, I tend to forget my understanding and belief that everything happens for a reason. What risk have you had to take to come into a greater sense of purpose? Um, what risk? I don't know. That's a really good one. What risk have I had to take? What was the question one more time? What risk have you had to take to come into a greater sense of purpose? What risk have I had to take to come into a greater sense of purpose? I guess just the risk of failure or being wrong. Um, I also believe in the value of time. And I think that any time that we are doing any sort of self-seeking thing, we are losing time. I think time's the most valuable thing in, in the world. And a lot of times, if you waste that time doing something that's not gonna get you where you wanna go, you've just wasted that time. So I guess the biggest risk would be losing time or taking that time to do something that I'm not 100% sure what the result's going to be, mm -hmm. which then can affect the time. What do you wish that you were better at in your pursuit of your purpose? I wish I was better at letting things go. I believe in letting things go, but there are some days better than others that I don't. Um, little things. I mean, that, the woman in the bathroom, if I wouldn't have given her that $100, it would still be eating me today, eating me alive. Um, it's things like that. The little things that I don't do when I know I should do it, that, that I tend to not let go. How do you know when you're living aligned to your purpose? You feel good. You know you're living aligned to your purpose when you feel good. So let's say you've become financially free, you're super successful in your career, you have committed romantic relationship of your dreams, um, you know, like the whole, you have built a true legacy. How do you see your purpose evolving in that time if you have everything that you're asking for? If I have everything that I'm asking for, I see myself rebuilding my hometown. My hometown is East Liverpool, Ohio. It's a little speck on the map. It's the hometown of Lou Holtz. Actually, Lou Holtz went to school there. 
Um, Dean Martin is from way well, close by there. Um, a lot of athletes are pumped out of Ohio in general, but East Liverpool, Ohio is a population of about 11,000 people that had 40,000 when I was growing up. The whole town is just depressed. They're doing a lot to, to rev up the, the town, but nobody wants to invest there as an investor because you can't get a high return on your money. Well, I'm one investor that I know I don't care about the return on my money as much when, cause I'm full philosophic, you know, I like to give back. So I think that it's going to take an investor like myself with that mindset of not needing a return to give back to that community. My goal is to rebuild the whole town and make it thrive. Oh, that's amazing. Thanks. Um, and then what questions are you asking yourself now? Um, I, I mean, I, I have a goal of being a multimillionaire by the time I'm, well, I should say a millionaire by the time I'm 30, that's a year and a half. So the questions I ask myself today are really, is this going to put me in a financial position to get there? Do I need to spend this money on this or can I move it over here? But in terms of like purpose, my question I ask myself every day is, do you feel good? Are you doing what you want to do? And are you happy? It's really what it comes down to because if you're unhappy in life, there's nothing is worth it. You, you have to feel good and you have to be happy. So every person who comes in my life, every situation I ask, is this going to get me where I want to go? What are my goals? My therapist helped me make a list of things that I want in life and in spiritual aspects and financial and relationships and, and physical make a list of those. And if what I'm faced with each day does not get me closer to those goals, then I don't do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I just want to acknowledge before we finish, like how you are such an inspiration for people our age. Um, I'm 27, you're 28. Uh, I think that your deep compulsion to help people um, is, is amazing. And we should, more people should be acting on it the way that you do. Um, and how much responsibility you take for um, creating the future and being humble to receive what that future brings but also like knowing that you have a, a, an ability to greatly impact your future by the mindset, your habits, your routines, um, all of those things and how to really maximize on your strengths through that. So thank you. You did a wonderful job at that. And um, I need to have more people like you in my life because uh, that's really empowering. I appreciate that. And I think the biggest thing is it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it took me years to get to where I wanted to go, but I think it, it all starts with really knowing what you want in life. And if you don't know what you want, then figure out what you don't want and then you'll know what you do want. And I think that that's the biggest thing. Once you know what you want and you know where you're going, you don't have to know five years down the road, but today, what do you want today? And if you act more about how you feel and you figure out, I don't know, just where you see yourself in a year ahead, two years ahead, three years ahead, where you want to be, then it all starts to just unfold in that way. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. Anyone can do it. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, Follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. 
It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 